A few weeks ago, I posed a question on social media. If you could ask Washington State Parks a question, what would you ask them? Well, you delivered, and I asked those questions and more. Welcome to RV Out West. I'm your host, Brooks. My family of fours base camp is located in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and our RV adventures radiate out from there. Please grab a mug of coffee and join us as we discuss RVing around the American West. From sweet camping spots, gear and equipment, to tips and tricks, we've got you covered. We are RV Out West. Established in 1913, the Washington State Park System now has over 140 parks that also include 19 marine parks and 11 historical parks. There is something for everyone. State parks are one of my family's most favorite places to camp here in the Pacific Northwest. Joining us today is Sarah, the communications manager for Washington State Parks. She answers your questions, plus a few more. Sarah, thank you for joining us here on RV Out West. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And why don't you, let's start off with a little bit, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and kind of how you became and got involved with Washington State Parks? Yeah, so um, I am Washington State Parks' communications manager which is maybe the coolest job on the planet. My background was originally in journalism. And so for a few years, I worked in um, outdoor recreation reporting in Montana and then was setting my sights out west just because Washington is undeniably beautiful. Um, So when I came out this way, I worked with the Department of Natural Resources as their recreation communications manager but I've always had my sights set on state parks. And so when they had an opening, I had to jump on it. Awesome. Okay. And then, uh, so how long have you been in Washington state now? I've been in Washington state for about four years now. Okay. All right. Well, can you share with us a brief history of the Washington state parks system? Absolutely. And just to put it into the larger historical context, you can understand just how cool our system is. So Yellowstone was, of course, set aside in 1872 as the world's first national park. And it's important because it it's marked the start of this attitude of the American citizens for wanting to really value our lands as uh, recreation spaces. So there was more and more demand to set aside these lands for that use. So by the 1900s, there were three more national parks, including Mount Rainier. And then a few states has started to set aside some land as well. In 1921, there was the first national conference of state parks. And at this point, about 29 states still did not have any state parks at all. However, Washington, even though our state parks board was only a few years old, already had seven state parks set aside. For Washington itself, in 1913, that's when the state legislature created the Washington State Board of Parks Commissioners, which was mostly elected officials at that time. And then in 1915, just two years later, we had our first two donated park properties. So those are the John R. Jackson House, which is a pioneer heritage site near Chehalis, Washington. And then then it was called Chuckanut State Park. Today, you'd know it better as Larrabee State Park, which we consider our true first state park here in Washington and that is up near Bellingham. As we move forward through time a little bit, um, in the mid-20s or so, we see more Americans with cars. They're doing more traveling. 
again, there's even more of a push to want to have these beautiful places to go and explore. So during that time, we added about 12 new state parks to our system. And that includes Fort Warden over on Bainbridge Island. And then I'd say the next big kind of historical moment that really kept us pushing forward was in 1933, when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt created the Civilian Conservation Corps. You can see evidence of the impact that this had in Washington State Parks all over the place. I'm based here in Olympia, and so one of my most frequented parks is Miller, Sylvania. And going there, you can see these picnic shelters and bathhouses, all these beautiful historic structures that were put into place by the Conservation Corps. And it's really cool to see, and the handiwork is just amazing. So... 1950 to 60, that decade is where we saw our big boom, which brought us up to the number of state parks we have today. That's when we increased from 79 parks properties to 130 in just 10 years. That includes, you know, many of the normal state parks that you probably know, but also a lot of our marine parks, which were designated specifically for people who love boating and paddling. And people appreciated it. We had visitation jump from 1.6 million at the start of that decade to 7 million at the end of that decade. So that's kind of the, for our history nerds, the, <laughs> the quick and dirty, how we got to where we are today with, like I said, about 130 state park properties. That's pretty amazing. And they are definitely jewels cool. of our states. It's They're jewels <laughs> of our states. I love camping in our state parks. Kind of what is the state parks long-term vision i'm talking like 20 30 years from now and are there any measures they're working on to kind of ensure that that vision is realized yeah absolutely i think to really put it plainly we have a vision of parks for all we want to make sure that anyone who is interested in visiting our parks has that opportunity and has that access so some of the things that we're we're working on is improving access for people with disabilities so they can get out and enjoy the nature with a little bit more ease. We're also focusing on the diversity of our staff in an effort to create an atmosphere that's a little bit more welcoming for all visitors so that when people come to our parks, when they look at our social media, when they read the content that we're putting out, they can see themselves in it and recognize that our parks are a fun and safe place for all people to go and explore. We're also taking some measures to adapt to climate change and sea level rise, and that really comes to play in just some of our nuts and bolts operation. So we're evaluating our infrastructure and looking at things like the locations of our campgrounds and our facilities in relation to rising tide, and if we need to shift where those are located so that we're not having to frequently close campsites for flooding. Um, we're also looking at plans for wildfire and natural disasters. You know, unfortunately, in Washington, we've seen longer, hotter, drier, more intense wildfire seasons. And so it's just a reality that we need to contend with when we're doing our planning. And then we're also looking at building a more sustainable future. So we want to reduce our carbon footprint. We're looking at things like battery operated tools and vehicles. We also have a climate coordinator who's in place now, and he is looking at a variety of ways that we can also try and reduce our carbon emissions. And that's, again, looking at everything from our infrastructure, where it's possible to implement solar power, um, and then always exploring new technologies you know, as many challenges as we're facing, this is also a really great time of growth and opportunity and innovation. And so we're kind of excited to see how this continues to develop and what makes sense to implement 
in our parks, again, to make them accessible for everyone and places that people will be able to enjoy for generations. So kind of piggybacking off that, all of that sounds absolutely incredible. And I think it's great. Are there any plans for expansion in the next five to 10 years to add more state parks? Yeah. So we are continuing to look at different ways that we can expand our parks or potentially create more parks. And before I I get into that, I think we're also looking at ways that we can better use our current properties and resources. You know, I think it's important to, before we start adding a bunch of new parks, making sure the ones that we have are supported, safe, modern enough (laughs) for people to use and enjoy and nothing's falling into disrepair. That being said, though, we have a lot of growing visitation and demand for more places for people to explore. So we are looking at building a few new parks. The one that I personally am most excited about is Nisqually State Park. We're working closely with the tribes in this area to develop that into a beautiful state park along the Nisqually River. And then we also, um, over on the Olympic Peninsula or Miller Peninsula, We're looking at developing a park there. That planning project um, is still in its very, very early stages. We'll still need to do environmental impact statement um, and a lot of studies in that area, but there is potential to have a new state park over there. And like I mentioned, we're still looking at the properties that we already have and ways that we can improve them. I'm not gonna pretend that I don't know that there are (laughs) ways that we could improve our reservation system and make it easier for folks to be able to make those reservations and explore. So that's something we're looking deeply at. We're also uh, working on building out our long distance trail systems. So if you didn't know, we have several long distance trails for people who either want to go on these huge treks across literally the entire state. So we have the Palouse to Cascades Trail, the Columbia Plateau Trail, Will of the Hills, Klickitat, Centennial, all these great trails. And then we're also building Washington State's first scenic bikeways program. So there's a lot of really, really exciting things happening right now, and um, we're hoping people are excited about it, too. Are there any plans to also start to increase within the existing state park system sites that have more hookups, more full hookups or dump stations in the site for those RVers who are looking to be able to have the opportunity to plug in? Yeah, absolutely. And as I've mentioned, you know, we are looking for ways to continue to improve our sites. Um, We try and stay really connected with our visitors to our parks and their needs. When people do reach out to us, even if it's as simple as a Facebook comment, all of that information, all those opinions, all of those comments are being taken in with our staff and we're continuing to develop plans. We're continuing to work with our partners to to figure out the best way forward, especially for our viewers. There's a little bit, maybe more of a difficulty because some of our parks are very remote. And so getting electricity and dump stations and all of that out to these areas, you know, there's an infrastructure that needs to be put in place and that can be really expensive. And so we do have those things on our radar and there are plans that we are putting together. It's just, you know, asking people to have a little patience with us and the state system (laughs) as we work forward to make those improvements and make more opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I'm patient. It's fine. I just, I think it's good to just ask and hear kind of, you know, if that is on the table. All right. I want to transfer to the reservation system. (laughs) So there's a game. You got to be aware of the game that people play, right. right? Is there anything you guys are looking at that to maybe either make 
the reservation system more equitable for all. You're absolutely right. And again, that's a problem we're very, very much aware of. And I think the key word that you said is equity. We're looking at it and recognizing that the system is not always fair. Not everybody has the ability to several months in advance, make plans, cancel reservations, pay processing fees, all of these different things. You know, some people given you know, different circumstances can only make reservations right up before they're able to go. And so again, we're we're aware of that situation and our team is actively working to try and find a solution, find a solution. And that includes engaging with um, an equity impact review with our DEI team, our diversity, equity, and inclusion team. And then in addition to that, we're not alone in this issue. So we are working with national parks and other state park systems to learn more about what they're doing and what works and what doesn't work. So we can, again, not reinvent the wheel here, but put together something that is equitable to more people. And the thing I keep going back to is, is giving more people the opportunity to get outdoors and make those connections with our land. So I mean, you're right. This is a challenge that we are facing, but it's also a challenge that that parks across the country are facing. And we are all very engaged on figuring out what is the best course to move forward. Yeah. And I'm not pointing fingers. This is a widespread national kind of problem. And absolutely. Um, Back to our existing Washington state park systems. What are the top five most visited state parks? Very excited for this question. So as far as camping goes, our top five, and I'm just going to rattle them off for you real quick, is Cape Disappointment, Deception Pass, Fort Warden, Grayland Beach, Steamboat Rock, Ike Keenswa, Fort Flagler, and Lake Chelan. I am so excited when the numbers came up and showed me that those were our top list. I was I was especially excited because I think that's a pretty good snapshot at the diversity of parks that we have across the state. You know, I think sometimes things tend to skew towards the west side and the mountains and the ocean and being on the sound. And eastern Washington can be a little bit forgotten, which is not fair. There is so much beauty to be seen there. So the fact that we have Deception Pass, which to me is no surprise, that really is a gem of a park. It is beautiful. It ranks on top lists across the country for a lot of great reasons. Having something like Steamboat Rock on there, which really shows off the beauty of Eastern Washington and the Scablands um, is really exciting. This list is also very cool to me because it's got a good mix of nature and human history. So again, with Deception Pass, there is the beautiful water and all the opportunities there to experience that ecosystem. But then Fort Warden gives people the opportunity to literally touch and crawl around and explore the military history of this area. Fort Flagler as well, I think, is actually one of my favorite parks and the first uh, park that I stayed in an RV at. And it was just a really cool experience. I started with state parks and went down to our information center, figuring they would know better than anyone and ask them, hey, I've never been to a state park before. Plan my weekend for me. I've got to get out there. And they sent me right up to Fort Flagler. And it was a great experience. It is very cool to be able to see that history. What are then the top five least visited state parks? And this (laughs) is going to tell me I have better odds of getting reservations, which is really why I'm asking the question, not because I think they're 
bad parts? Mm -hmm. You know what? That is a good question. Um, because we have 130 properties, when I give those top five, really those parks do get inundated. And I am so excited that you would be interested in some of our smaller parks. We have so many of our big, I call them glamour parks that attract a lot of people. But if you look in the areas around them, we have so many state parks that the map is just speckled with all of these little parks around that area where you can still and go still go visit. So where I'm at, Miller Sylvania is maybe the closest state park to me and it is incredibly popular. I was actually surprised it didn't make the list, but it is full all the time. However, just up the road at Potlatch State Park, it's lesser known, it's a little bit smaller, but it is a beautiful camping park that is right on the Hood Canal and you get beautiful views of the mountains. You can go down to the water and see all of the mussels and oysters and everything that's growing and explore around. Um, and then they've got a great picnic shelter there uh, to check out as well. And little parks like that exist all over the place. I really recommend for people to pull up a map and just start picking places where they haven't been and just picking parks they haven't heard of. Um, there's not one of our parks that I would say is missable. Every single one of them has something really cool to offer, depending on what it is you're looking for. Going back to Larrabee, by the way. So I went to school at Western up in Bellingham. And so I spent a lot of time at Larrabee just in getting out and going and and all the cool tide pools. Mm -hmm. And Larrabee State Park is an amazing. I didn't know that that was El Park number one, but that is, yeah, that's an amazing amazing park and the hike up to Oyster Dome. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So yeah, cool area. Larrabee is incredible. And it's another one where just this one park shows off again, the diversity of the Washington State Park system. Like again, whatever you're looking for, we have Larrabee has the water. If you're interested in getting out onto the water and paddling around or swimming, you mentioned the tide pooling, which is just incredible. I'm personally very into rock climbing and you can go rock climbing at Larrabee or you can go for casual hikes and bike rides. It's just, there's so much to do. I think we're really, really lucky and fortunate to live in Washington. And I am just, I can't believe I get to work for parks. It's just a dream. <laughs> One of the other fun ones I like is out by Port Angeles. Salt Creek State Park mm -hmm. is a great, and I've done a lot of scuba diving out through there. So we would park and camp and then go dive right there. It was yeah, awesome. that's incredible. And I think that's an important point too, is I love to go backpacking. I love hiking. I love rock climbing. And a lot of those things are very backcountry centric. And so one of the thoughts I had when I came to work for state parks is this would be a different world. It's very much a front country experience. And I've had my perspective shifted a little bit. The more time I've spent at parks, because of exactly what you're saying is sure, if you are just interested in pulling up the RV and camping with your family and making hot dogs and just having those like, you know, experiences to, to relax and just unwind, that's available. But there are opportunities for things like scuba diving, for rock climbing, to climb literal mountains at um, Mount Pilchuck. <laughs> it's all there. And I think you know, as we talk about making the outdoors more accessible for everyone, I think that state parks are a great starting place. 
they're a good spot for people who have maybe never done anything outdoorsy before, but find themselves in Washington and want to get into it. It's a safe place to set up your tent for the first time, go through the struggle of backing in an RV for the first time, and to work out those things so that you can go on bigger trips. But parks also have those bigger trips. And especially for people who are very much into the backcountry, state parks can be a great place to work out some of those kinks before a big trip. For those intense people who like to do like winter camping, you know, practicing building your snow shelters and things like that at one of our snow parks. It's just, there really is something for everyone. And I know that sounds like such a cliche, but I can't think of how it could be any more true when we're talking about our parks. I have a fun story. My great grandmother, Mimi, lived in Oxnard, California, down by south of Santa Barbara, down in Ventura, kind of north of Malibu and south of Santa Barbara. And uh, she had an Airstream. And her husband was a big angler, loved to fish. And in the summer, they would drive from Oxnard with their Airstream to Curlew State Park. And they would post up for like a month plus at Curlew State Park. I guess my great-grandfather would just go fishing and spend his days fishing right there on Lake Curlew. And they would just hang out and That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. I know. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. What is your favorite Washington State Park and why? Oh, that's such a good question. And we joke around here that like you're not supposed to pick your favorite child, (laughs) Uh, but we all definitely. (laughs) You totally can. I really love Lake Wenatchee. I think it is so beautiful out there. We've got this picture that one of our rangers took for us. And I have to like stop myself from using it on everything because it's right at the sunset and they're giving an interpretive tour. So there's a group of people and the sky is just this brilliant shade of purple and pink with the mountains surrounding the lake on either side. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Miller, Sylvania, again, just because it's the closer park, closest park to me, has a special spot in my heart. It is so fun to go there in the summer because I learned this when I started with state parks. We have excellent concessionaires at a lot of our parks, and Miller Sylvania has a beer garden. So if that is what you're into, hopping over to Miller Sylvania, even just after work in the summer to go to the beer garden and, you know, watch people play around in the water while you have one of their delicious beverages is a really excellent way to end the day. I think my absolute favorite park, though, I'm like... (laughs) Trying not to list all of them, but truly, if I had to pick a favorite, I would say Beacon Rock down near the border. It is, I'm just fascinated by the geological history of that area. The hike up to the top is just so beautiful once you get to the top and you're able to see these sweeping views down the whole Columbia Gorge. And then not as many people know, but just across the road, we have miles of hiking trails that you can do as well. So it's a really cool spot to go explore. But I love going to Deceptions Pass in the shoulder seasons because mm-hmm. it's just it's cozy and I like that. Yeah. Yeah, the last time I, it's hard not to say deception pass like I said it it makes so many nationalists and you go there and you're like okay, I get it. I see why everyone says <laughs> it is really cool. Um I think the last time I was there was in October and I think that's a good point for people as well if you are trying to get reservations as I know everyone has a little bit more free time maybe in the summer to camp. But if you are able to make the shoulder seasons work for you, I think a lot of our parks are the most beautiful during those times when things are switching over in the fall season or when things are just starting to bud in the spring season. Um, So the last time I was at Deception Pass was in 
mid to late October of last year. And it was really great. There were still a lot of people there, but not quite as many as if you're there in, you know, June. So <laughs> my final question for you is, can you tell me about a place in your life that you've been to that has made you feel big or small? Oh, and that's such a good question. Um, I'm really fortunate. And because of the things that I'm interested in, I seek out those experiences. So I've had quite a few of them. You know, if you're looking to Montana, I did the hike from or hike out to Granite Park Chalet, which was like, you know, putting in 20 miles in one day <laughs> to get out and just be in the middle of nowhere and experience that. But looking at Washington, if there are, are hikers listening, I'm going to be the most hated person on the planet for just a second. But the first time that I ever applied for an enchantments permit, I got it in the course. <laughs> you are so lucky. It took me years to get a Kolchak permit. Oh, man. Yeah. That is hitting the lottery for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I The first time I applied, I got a core zone permit for my birthday. Um, and so I took my cousin and we went up there. And that's. I mean, again, kind of like a deception pass where everyone talks about how great it is. Once you see the enchantments, you were like, I fully understand the hype behind this. It is every bit, if not more incredible than you think it's going to be. I could talk about it for hours and still not oversell how incredible that experience was. And getting to be in the core where there's only maybe a handful of other people it is one of the first times in my life and one of the most impactful where I really felt like I was one of the only people on the planet just surrounded by miles of beautiful wilderness. And it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. It was very, very cool. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us here on RV Out West. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. This is so fun. Thank you so much for listening. To help the show grow, please share with your RVing friends and family about this podcast. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like me to discuss, please contact me via rvoutwest.com. Coming up in a couple of weeks is our next destination episode of the year, and I will be sharing about Whidbey Island. This island is only an hour from Seattle, and it is chocked full of so many surprises. You won't want to miss this special episode. In the meantime, Unwinterize your RVs and start camping. Now, get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon. Thanks so much for listening to RV Out West. Join us again in two weeks with our next episode. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And I sure would appreciate if you left a rating or a review of the show. Special thanks to Scott Holmes Music for providing the intro song, We Are One. RV Out West can be found on Instagram and Facebook where you can interact with us and follow along on our RV adventures around the Pacific Northwest. So get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon.